All right, if you have your Bibles, you can open to Matthew 28. That's going to be our first passage. We're going to move around a little bit as we uh, look at a few things this morning. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the message of the church. We've been talking about the church for several weeks now, and um, we, we know that first and foremost it is built on the, the rock of Jesus Christ. It is built on the, the fact that Jesus is the Messiah sent from God to save the world. And everything that the church does ought to be pointing people towards him. Um, we've looked at several other things about what it means to be a member of the church. We looked at the ordinances of the church. And, and today we're going to be talking about the message of the church. I, I taught in schools for, for 13 years. I, I spent My very first year was at Commerce High School. My second year was at uh, Sulphur Springs High School. And then I, I was in Mount Vernon High School for 13, or excuse me, for the last 10 years. And this is my first year not there, but as I was thinking about the message today and, and what God had laid on my heart, I, I, I thought of this example, this contrast. They, <clears throat> when I first came to Mount Vernon High School, they told me, now listen, it, it was kind of a strange situation. They'd had a sub in the room because they couldn't find a science teacher. God was holding that position available to me um, until I was ready to move here. And, and I came into a situation where they had had a sub for six weeks in the classroom. So not someone who was specialized in science, someone who was just trying to print off worksheets, give it to the students and help them make their way through it. So not exactly the, the most structured classroom environment uh, that you can imagine. And, and so I came in and they said, well, listen, you know, this seventh period class is going to, it's going to be a little bit of trouble for you. There's, there's these two students in particular you need to watch for that they're going to, they're going to try to resist. They're going to give you a lot of trouble. They're really going to test you. And I was like, okay. I'm prepared for that. I'm, I'm ready. I've, I've been doing this for three years at this point, and so I had a little bit of experience. I thought, I'm ready. And I get into that last class, and sure enough, those two students that they had mentioned come into the classroom, sit in their desk, and they lay their head down on the desk immediately. And I thought, okay, so here it starts. All right, and I'm ready. And I said, all right, you two, hey, you can't be sleeping in this class. You got to sit up. You got to sit up this class. They sat up the rest of the class and didn't say another word. And I was like, that's the best you've got? This is going to be easy. And sure enough, Mount Vernon was a great experience teaching-wise. I didn't have near the kind of trouble I had. And I was ready because my first year was at Commerce High School. And, and I'm sorry if, if that's anybody's home or anything like that. I don't mean to say anything bad, but it was a bad situation that I walked into. All right, And, and I taught students that... There was one day that I said, okay, everybody open your books to page 500 and blah, 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 and we're all going to do this set of questions together. And I had a student take his desk, or all, everything on his desk, and rake it off into the floor and say, no, I'm going to the office. And I was like, good, that's where I was about to send you for that behavior. <laughs> I had another student, one day she didn't want to do the assignment that I'd written on the board, so she got up out of her desk, came up behind my desk, and erased the assignment off the board. I was like, what is going on here? And let me just say, in three years, I did not figure out how to manage student behavior. I'm still working on that. And I've got eight prospects coming through that are going to challenge me in every possible way that even my students hadn't thought of. I, I didn't become a master of student behavior. What happened is this. I changed from one school to another school. And what happened is this. At Mount Vernon High School, 
I had authority to tell the students what to do because in the office, if I said that student was misbehaving, they backed me up. If, I, if it was a problem in my classroom enough that I said, okay, you can't stay here any longer, you're going to have to go speak to the principal, there were consequences once they got to the office that they didn't want to deal with. And so they were willing to listen to what I had to say to follow my instructions in my classroom because I had authority because I was backed up. In that first school that I was in, they went to the office and they, they got a, a pat on the back. Oh, I'm sorry that teacher's being so mean to you today. You know, are, are you having a rough time? And, oh, you poor thing. And it was... It was totally different because of the atmosphere. And so my authority in that classroom was, was only valid when I was being backed up in the office. And, and let me just say this, that as the church, we should be speaking with authority because our foundation is being backed up on the Word of God, which is the very Word of God. Right? We're not just calling this the Word of God because we've thought this is what God would say. No, God spoke this. God, through His divine Spirit, inspired men to pin these words down. And God, through His providence, has sustained the Word of God through all of time so that we have the most authority to speak the truth into our culture than anyone else would have the authority to do it. Right? Now, there are lots of voices speaking into our culture. Economists want to tell us how we ought to make decisions. Now, some of that's wise counsel. I'm not downing them. But what authority do they stand on? Well, they stand on statistics, and they stand on you know, economics of the past and historical lessons and things like that. And all that's well and good, but it's not going to necessarily give them the kind of authority to speak into our lives that the Word of God gives us. There are psychologists who tell us how to raise our families, how to teach children in the most productive way, and they may have some research and there may be some truth in what they say, but they don't have the same kind of authority that the Scriptures give us. And so what I want to tell you today is this, that the message of the church is given to us in such a way that we have the authority to speak in ways that no one else does. And God has entrusted the church with His Word, so that we might speak His message to the world. Alright? So let's look at this in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 19. Jesus is, has died on the cross, and He's risen from the dead, and He has spent some time with His followers. He revealed Himself to them, showed them that He had, sure enough, conquered the grave, risen from the dead. And then he speaks to his disciples and he tells them this. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus commissioned us, among other things, to teach his commandments. We have been given that responsibility and therefore that authority to tell people what Jesus taught. It's an instruction that Jesus gave to his, his disciples who became the church. And we are to continue that even today. Now listen, 
In Ephesians chapter 4, he, he kind of, <clears throat> Paul is talking about this with the church at Ephesus, and he points this out, that this is something that's supposed to be continuing on today. It says, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. And all of these responsibilities are, are those who kind of give instruction to others. And he says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ. And then he says this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. See, we, we're supposed to be being built up. And so the message of the church ought to be one that is building people up, helping them to shape themselves in the image of Christ, and pointing people towards His commandments so that they might walk in them and they might mature in their understanding of the faith. In 2 Timothy 2, 2, he says this to Timothy. He says, The things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now listen, all of these verses are telling us that the message has been given to us and we have been given the responsibility to teach it to others. And let me say that that's, that's not just the job of a pastor. That's not just the job of a Sunday school teacher. We are all entrusted with some truth that we ought to be looking for ways to share. Those of you who are, who are parents, you know that this is a responsibility that we have, that we're supposed to teach what we have been given to our kids. If, if you've ever been in a position where someone is asking you for advice, there is an opportunity there to share with them truth that you have, been, that you have received from the Scriptures. And we're all to be passing that along. And it's not only supposed to be internal. That this sharing of the message, this, this passing on the truth and the principles of, of Jesus' teachings isn't just supposed to be internal within the church. But it's supposed to have an effect on the world around us. Listen to what Jesus said during his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. He says this, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the salt of the earth. Now listen, the salt of the earth is an expression that has different meanings, right? There are some people that you meet and they say, well, he's just a real salt of the earth kind of a guy. I'm like, well, I'm not really sure what that means, right? But you kind of get the picture of somebody who's been through some things. Right? Kind of has some hardship, maybe a little rough around the edges. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. When he says, you are the salt of the earth, he's talking about the flavoring. Right? And he says, if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? So in other words, we're supposed to be flavoring the world around us in some way. We're supposed to be somehow changing and affecting the world around us. He uses another illustration next that kind of helps... To, to clarify this, he says in, in verse 14, You are the light of the world. 
A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And he says this, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Listen, what this passage is telling us is that we ought to have an impact on the world around us. Just as salt has an impact on mashed potatoes and light has an impact on darkness, we ought to be impacting the world around us. The message of the gospel that sinks, into, that, that sinks deep into our heart, that gives us the hope of glory, that message ought to work outward as well. Such that we have an impact on the world around us. The, the message of the gospel goes way beyond just our own individual personal salvation. The gospel affects everything. The good news of the gospel tells us that things ought to work differently. That God had a different design in mind for mankind than the status quo that we see around us. That God had a, has hope in store for the world, not, des not despair. That God wanted people to have fellowship with Him, not isolation and loneliness. God wants people to have joy, not depression. And the world around us is painting a different picture. And the gospel, as it first pierces our heart, ought to begin to change us and give us a different outlook. And that ought to influence not just us within the church, but it ought to influence the world outside of the church, too. The church is to be the moral authority for society. We ought to speak with that kind of authority on whatever issue is a moral issue. Now, some of this is eroding in American society today, but there are still traces of the acknowledgement of the church as a moral authority. For example, if you see weddings portrayed or you've been to weddings, even people who are not necessarily Christians, that a lot of times will want to have their services in a church. And they'll want to have a minister stand there. You know, a lot of times they want them to have a white collar on so that it looks the part of it having the moral authority for their marriage um, to be recognized. And they don't even necessarily have to be, you know, churchgoers themselves or even necessarily Christians. They wouldn't even necessarily claim themselves to be Christians. They're just not militant against it. But they want the appearance of having that moral authority. And so in weddings, a lot of times they look for ministers. And of course, our, our, our country still acknowledges ministers as being rightful signers of, you know, marriage uh, licenses. Funerals as well. Many people, will, whenever it's time to bury someone that they loved, whether that person ever stepped in, the, in a church building or not, they'll want a minister to come and say a few words. Uh, let me just testify that sometimes that's an awkward situation. But people know that we have some sort of moral authority and they want us to speak into those particular situations. Other situations, they don't want to hear from us. But there are other things. In tragedies, they want pastors to come. They'll interview pastors in the wake of some great calamity. 
that want to hear that voice of hope, that voice of encouragement in the midst of those terrible situations. When people are swearing oaths, we still, in some cases, have a Bible present as if that gives them some kind of moral authority to take the office that they take. Whether it's swearing in a president or a judge or swearing to tell the truth, there are, there are situations where even that is still recognized. But in other aspects, the church's voice has been eroded away. And the sad truth is, in a lot of ways, that's not the fault of the, the world around us. It, it, we can't blame the darkness for being dark. The, the, the truth is that the erosion of the moral authority of the church has come at the hands of some of our greatest leaders. People that we've trusted to take certain roles. There have been men who have stood in pulpits and failed in their closets. And sadly, that has eroded our moral authority. You read about things like embezzlement scandals. You know, these televangelists will tell you, you know, send your money in and God will bless you. And people see that and see their private jet that they move around the country in and, and things like that. And they just do not believe that that person really has the moral authority to speak into their life. Because it looks shady. It looks deceptive. You hear about affairs and abuse. You know, it, there's no question that that's going to happen to people. When we put them on a pedestal and whenever they get puffed up in their pride, they fall. You know, the, the Bible tells us about three guys in particular. If you look at Samson and David and Solomon, you know, Samson was the strongest man who ever lived. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And David was supposed to be closer to God than anyone who ever lived. And all three of those guys failed in the area of sexuality. Samson let Delilah lead him astray so that he gave up his promise to God. David, of course looked on Bathsheba and took her into his home and committed adultery and then murdered to cover it up. Solomon went into agreements with other nations by taking out 700 wives. The temptation is there and sadly the world sees these things happen. We hear about the abuse scandals where people who were trusted with the care of children and took advantage of those children. And those things have eroded our standing of moral authority. But our moral authority is not on men. Our moral authority is not on our behavior. The moral authority that we have stands on the Word of God, and to regain it, we have to let our lives mirror and be guided by the Word of God. And the truth is, it's not just on these individuals. You, know, you hear the reports of these people who have fallen and fallen hard, but it's not just them. It can be on each and every one of us. The way that we live our life day by day is impacting the world around us. 
If someone knows that you go to church and they see the way that you live your life, you are sending a message about what church is all about. And all of us fall short of God's standard. All of us can drift away and fall into sin. But if we want the church to have its position, to have the moral authority that it's intended to have, we've got to align our lives with God's standards. We have first and foremost got to follow God's commands so that we can teach those commands to others. And we, we spent a series a while back going through the Ten Commandments of God. And what we looked at again and again was that those commandments were not given to restrict us and confine us, but they were given so that we would have the best life possible. God knew what would be good for us, and so He gave us commandments to help us find the right path that leads to the most blessing, the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. And when we follow those commandments, we reap the blessings of that. And whenever we reap the blessings of following God's commandments, we are compelled to teach it to others as well. And so the church ought to be delivering the message of Christ's commandments to the world. And listen, it should affect the way that we live our lives. Now listen, we can point the blame at other people. It's easy to do that. We can say, well, we would be doing all right, but so-and-so failed, and so that gave us a setback. And we can point to others, but we need to first look inside. We need to see where we sometimes come up short, where we can fall into the temptation to gossip just along with everybody else at work. We can fall into the temptation to choose entertainment that we know is not good for our souls. We can fall into the temptation of living selfishly instead of selflessly with our spouse. We can fall into the temptation to do all sorts of things. And when we do that, we give the wrong testimony of what it means to be a Christian. And sometimes we sacrifice our moral authority. The truth is we should work harder than anyone else at marriage in a church. Because the Bible teaches us that marriage is supposed to be the picture of Christ's relationship with His church. The sad truth is that the statistics show us there's very little difference between those who are churchgoers and those who are outside of church as far as how well their marriages last. And it ought not be that way. We should be more reliable at work because the Bible teaches us that we do all things as if we are doing them for our Savior. Now listen, if the, if the commandments of Scripture have hidden in your heart and you show up at work, you know I'm not working for that man. I'm working for my Savior. I'm going to do this to the best of my ability. And it ought to impact the way that we work. We should be more forgiving and more generous with our neighbors and our families because the Bible teaches us that we have been forgiven and blessed beyond measure. You see, the way that we understand Scripture affects the way that we live. And if the message of Christ and the message of the Bible is being hidden in your heart, it ought to affect the way that you live among other people. And when it does, it gives us the moral authority to speak the truth. 
The church needs to act like a, like a compass for what is right and what is wrong. And sadly, today in our culture, we are looking more and more to a political party for what the right way to go is. When it comes to decisions, it doesn't take much. We look in the, the news today and we're looking at these, <coughs> these people who are political figures. And over and over we're finding them to have these, these scandals in their past and it is bringing into question their moral authority to stand and govern. But again, we're looking to men to stand and govern. And what gives someone the moral authority is has to go deeper than that. It has to be more foundational than that. Now the church should act as a moral compass and there's a risk that we shy away from sometimes that we become considered to be too political. And there are moral issues that are being discussed in political realms and political circles that are not political issues but they're rather moral issues. And if it's a moral issue we ought to speak about it. But we don't speak about it from a political perspective. We don't speak about it as a Republican or speak about it as a Democrat. We speak about it as a Christian. If we're going to speak out about these issues, we need to speak about them from the foundation of the Scripture. Because that's where our moral authority comes from. Listen, abortion is a moral issue. It's not a political issue. It has become a political issue, but it's a moral issue. And the Bible teaches us about the sanctity of life, and because we believe that God knows us even when we're in our mother's womb, we know that there is a life there, and we stand to, to protect the rights of that human life because Jesus died to save them. Marriage is a moral issue. What qualifies as a marriage is something outlined by the Scriptures. Now, we have laws written about what marriage is, but those laws don't have the authority that the Scriptures have. Because they're founded on the principles of men rather than on God's revealed testimony. So we stand on the, the bedrock of the faith, the bedrock of the Bible, to stand with moral authority. And the church ought to speak to these things. Racism is a moral issue. And we need to see that God welcomed outsiders into His family. That God had laws about how they weren't to abuse people who were outside of the, the families of Israel. That whenever the sojourner came in, he had rights among them. And they weren't to take advantage because they had been abused by others. And so we ought to be the moral authority on issues regarding race. Caring for the homeless or the hungry, that's a moral issue. It's something that the principles of Scripture tell us that we are in charge of and we ought to be speaking the truth about what it means to take care of those in need. And all too often, people will hear us talk about these issues and they'll immediately try to peg us into a particular political camp. 
it's not about politics. Listen, there are certain things that I find very difficult to be in one political party or another. This is just me speaking personally. There are times that I agree with policies in one regard, times I agree with policies in another camp. There are times where I agree with neither. But the bottom line is, I'm not finding my identity, I'm not finding my my moral standing in what a party has agreed to. We find our moral standing from the scriptures. And so as we discuss these things, as we talk about these issues, we need to speak about them in terms of what the Bible tells us. You can hear whenever controversies arise, what happens is people start talking among their party, like, where are we going to stand on this? What are we going to call for in this particular situation? Are we all going to be in agreement about this? And it's the Democrats agree in one way, the Republicans agree in another way, and they find their controversy and argue about it. And we need to not run to political parties, but instead we need to run to the Scriptures to find out where we stand on what's right and what's wrong, because that is where our moral authority comes from. And we're to have an effect on the culture around us. We're supposed to be salt in the world around us. We're supposed to be light in the darkness. And if we're going to do those things and do them well, we need to return to the moral authority of Scripture. Listen, we have gotten it wrong at times. The the church has missed it. Being influenced by the society around us, we have adopted beliefs that are not biblical. And we need to repent of those things. And we need to teach what the Bible says without wavering, without shying away. The Bible is our authority. And it tells us what we ought to say, and the message of the church ought to influence the culture around us. And the church has been entrusted with that responsibility, that role to speak to the moral guidance for the, for the community. Often we have missed that mark. Often we have shied away and, and we've been silent. Afraid of being labeled as being too political. Afraid of difficult conversations. But we have to speak the truth. Now, the danger is, sometimes we're so interested in being right that we forget that we're also supposed to be loving. And Jesus said this, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Jesus says, This is above all else. Love God with all you've got. That's first. And then he says, And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, being right doesn't exempt you from showing love. Being right about an issue doesn't mean you don't have to love the people who are wrong. You've got to reach out. You've got to extend to those people. 
We have to show love to people because we have been loved even when we were enemies. Because God loved us and died for us whenever we were sinners, we extend the same kind of grace to others who are opposed to us. Jesus said on these two commandments, loving God with all we've got and loving our neighbor as ourselves, hang, depend the whole law and the prophets. In other words, if you follow those two commandments, you love God with all you've got and you love others the way that you would want to be loved, love the way you yourself. And so we can't just go out speaking the truth with disregard for how people respond to us. It's God. But God was for people. So on the abortion issue, for example, I am against, I am opposed to abortion because I believe that they're taking the life of an individual. But women who have had abortions are loved desperately by the, God, by the God that loved me. And they need the compassion and the grace that I needed. They're not wrong. The doctors and the nurses who work in abortion clinics, they need love and compassion from my Savior. And we need to be prepared for the fact that we are taking away their livelihood by asking them to stop doing that. So I think that there needs to be not just compassion for the unborn, but compassion for those who are making those choices and compassion for those who are performing the action. That God would reach into their soul and show them grace and mercy and love and we sometimes find ourselves on both sides of you. And we ought to have laws establishing how we handle immigration. But I love the immigrants who are coming. And people who have lost their homes and people who have lost their ways of making a living and providing for their families. The church ought to be reaching out to those people to love them and show compassion and mercy to them. And so I find myself a lot of times on both sides of any issue because I'm not on a political side. I'm on the side of showing grace that was shown to me. And the church needs to be able to speak with moral authority into issues like this, showing grace and compassion to all people. You see, Christ didn't die to establish the United States of America. Christ died to save souls. And it doesn't matter where they're from, it doesn't matter what language they speak, it doesn't matter the color of their skin, it doesn't matter what education level they've come to, none of that matters. He died for their souls. And we should leverage every opportunity to share the love of God. The most important thing in the eyes of God was people. How do we know that? Because he paid the highest possible price to win them over. And so we stand with the moral authority of the scripture that God loves people. Some of these issues get way more complicated. And I know that I, I'm simplifying issues. And that there are aspects that I'm not addressing. 
But as we have conversations with people, as we, we speak in the public sphere, we need to know the Word of God. Because if we don't know the Word of God, then we have no authority to speak the truth. Listen, God has called us, given the church the responsibility to be salt and light in the communities where we live. The only way that we can do that effectively is to know His Word. Because that's where our authority comes from. Just like I could stand in the classroom and I could tell students what to do, if I don't have the support of the office, then I don't have any control of what goes on in that room. We can say a lot of opinions out there, but if we don't have the moral authority of the Scriptures, then we're just more noise. It takes knowing the Word of God. Let me encourage you this way. You need more Scripture in your life. I don't know how much you read the Bible, but you need more of it, not less. Whatever it is that you may be aspiring to do, Whatever it is that you're, I don't know if you're like me, constantly trying to tweak things. I've got to do better at this. I need to get more sleep. I have a lot of children that make that very difficult. But I'm trying to find ways to get more sleep. I'm trying to, to exercise more. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to eat healthier. I'm trying to try to read the Bible more. Find ways to do that, to work that into your schedule. If you want to be able to speak to issues like these and have the moral moral authority to do so, you need to know the Word of God. It needs to be a part of your daily life. And then we can speak to whatever issue is out there. Now listen, I love having conversations like that. If you disagree with anything I said, come on, let's talk. I'm teachable, I could be wrong. And I don't have solutions to these problems. I'm just trying to find a place where the church fits into it. And maybe there's something we can do right here in this community that could have an impact on the bigger, the bigger stage. But we want to be about what the kingdom calls for. We want to stand on the word of God. And to do that, we need it in our lives more. Let's pray together. God, what a gift your word is. What a blessing you've given us by speaking into our lives your truth. Father, forgive us for taking it for granted, for leaving it out of our daily lives for not searching it for the truth that we need. Father, I pray that we would repent of that. That we would come back to your word. That we would let your word saturate our lives in such a way that it shapes the decisions that we make. Let it affect the way we interact with our family, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors. 
Father, I pray that it would impact us to live differently for you. That we would be salt in this world. We wouldn't just be the rest of the blandness. That we would cause change. Father, that we would be light in the darkness. And we would shine your light that's within us. Father, help us to stand with the moral authority and to speak the message of your truth and to have a positive impact on the community where you've placed us. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe that God calls us to stand in the gap that there are, are situations where we can have an impact and make a difference. Some of that is in this public arena where there are issues that are being discussed or debated or talked about and God uses us as his ambassador to speak the truth from the word of God. But to do that effectively, to do that well, we need to know the word of God. We need more of it in our life. Let me encourage you to find ways to weave it into the fabric of your life. Whether it's reading a chapter a day or it's a a devotional guide that, that gives you a little bit of scripture day by day to start out with. And if you're already doing those things to find something more can't have too much of it. But I know this. It's been several years ago that I, I started using a, the app, the Bible app, to read through the Bible. It kind of gives you a daily plan, and if you read that much every day, then you, you can read through the whole Bible in a certain amount of time. And so me and a friend of mine, we started reading the Bible together and we did a whole year together and we made it through the whole Bible. We would make sure each other was keeping up with it. And then we, we did it again, <clears throat> different plan. And what I noticed and what he noticed, and we talked about this just recently again, we noticed that we had this, this overarching view of the Bible that we hadn't had before. I grew up going to church. I went to Christian school and things like that. I had heard every Bible story that there was. I, I even knew the story about the talking donkey. I don't know if you know that one or not. It's a good one. Right? One of those obscure things. It's there. Not Shrek. I'm not talking about that donkey. Okay? I knew all the Bible stories. I'd heard them all before. But to, to go through the whole Bible just gives you a different perspective. To do that in a, a year's time. And what that does is this. Whenever I, I, I notice, whenever you have conversations with people, as a pastor at least this happens to me, that people are like, doesn't the Bible say, and they, you fill in the blank. You know, that we're not supposed to have tattoos, that we shouldn't, blah, blah, blah. You know, they have all kinds of things that people will ask me about. And I'll say, you know, I don't know exactly where that's at. 
and where people get that. I would love to look at that. And, and sometimes we'll look at the scriptures that specifically say that. But whenever I look at them, it's like, but in the grand scheme of things, what, what does this little issue mean? And it really started to shape my worldview on issues. Instead of having single, isolated ideas, it, it gave me a broader view by which I can compare lots of different ideas. And, and so I've used that to read through the Bible at least three, I think four times through the Bible. And it really just shaped things. Do I understand every word I read? Do I know the exact context of every scripture? No. Do I get lost sometimes whenever they're just listing names and names and names of people? Sure. But you stay faithful to it. You keep reading. And there are certain things that just start to stand out. And it, it doesn't get old. It, it's something that I want to do again. Because it, it refreshes you. It, it gives you more perspective. Listen, we are called to deliver the message of Christ. And to do that as the church today, we need to know the message of Christ. And so we need more of the Bible in our lives. So this morning, let me just encourage you. Let God speak into your life. Surrender a part of your life to give the Bible more hold on you. Whatever that looks like for you. If you'd like to talk about that and more tools, I can show you all the ways that I've tried it. But you surrender to the Lord this morning as Keetron leads us in song.